Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about this amazing guest that I have coming on the show. I love her. I feel like she's so genuine, so authentic, and she has some really incredible wisdom to share with us that I want to share with you. So I invited Sue DeCaro onto the podcast. I was just recently on her podcast, and I really connected with her on a personal level. I felt like she's just so authentic. I have been talking a lot about working on ourselves in order to help our children. And it's been a big theme on my podcast lately because, well, one, I've done over like, I don't know, 250 episodes. So if you want any topic on any anxiety or OCD theme, you're going to find it and I'll continue to do those. But I also think we can take a deeper dive into our own mindset, into our own parenting and into how we're showing up for our kids. And Sue DeCaro is the perfect person to have on the show. I asked her to come on to share her wisdom. She is a heart-centered worldwide coach and educator. She has her own podcast that is awesome called Conscious Parents Thriving Kids. She does coaching. She does uh, speaking. She has a blog. She, she is spreading her knowledge and her expertise around the world, and I greatly appreciate that. And so we're going to talk today about, well, the, the main topic was conscious parenting, which you know, you might be like, well, what is, what, what even is that? Because it sounds like jargon on some level, but it's, it's being aware, it's being intentional, but we dive deeper actually. And we start talking about your own childhood and your own triggers and your own stuff that comes with you when you turn into a parent. And then we also talk about our kids and how they're all uniquely individual. And sometimes we have to, well, not sometimes we, we have to look at them and look at what they need, not how am I going to parent all my kids the same, or how am I going to be a parent, but what does this particular child need from me? So those are just two of the topics that we dive into today as we have kind of a meaty discussion about our parenting and how to become and evolve as a parent. Before we get started, though, I do want to let you know that this podcast is sponsored by NoCD. NoCD offers affordable, effective, Convenient therapy available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. You can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That is treatmyocd.com. If you have tried to reach out to them in the past, I recommend trying to reach out to them again because they are growing their network every day in many countries. And so give them a call and see if they have someone available for you. All right. So let's talk to Sue DeCaro. So without further ado, here is my interview. Well, I want to welcome Sue to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. I'm excited to be here. This is going to be a really good topic because I have been kind of talking about, I've been like talking in circles around this topic, but it's nice to have an expert come on and really dive deep into conscious parenting And I just want to unpack what that is and how parents who are raising kids with anxiety or OCD in particular can use those skills. So before we get started, could you just tell people who aren't familiar with your work, what you do? 
I'm a worldwide life and parent coach. So I help individuals, parents to move through various challenges that they have in their family. My work is very much, or within my work is very much woven the conscious approach to how we raise our children, how we see ourselves, how we move through our own hurts, traumas, wounds from our own childhood that we take into parenting and can replay these cycles if we don't become aware of them. And so, you know, really trying to change the dynamics in households, first with the adult, and then it trickles down, of course, to our lovely children. So it's, uh, I feel honored to do this work in the world, really. It's a huge passion of mine. And it's such important work, because I don't think a lot of parents, I think some parents are starting to see this, but so much of how we parent is dictated and controlled by our own histories, our own triggers, our own childhood. I don't think a lot of parents have that awareness that it has that great impact. I think, yeah, I think you hit on the first thing. So conscious parenting in in my realm of work is really, about, it's twofold. One is it's seeing yourself. It's really taking a step back and looking at your conditioning from your own childhood, because let's face it, that's how we learn to be a parent. We don't, you know, open a book that says, well, little Johnny needs to be parented this way. And so this is how you should show up. We're conditioned from our parents and and our grandparents and all the cycles before that as to how we show up to parent our children, as well as societal pressures, as well as, you know, the Smiths and the Joneses and everybody around us. So it takes a lot to bring this awareness to the table. And the awareness is what is mine to unpack that is coming from my own childhood? And how can I look at my values that are separate from my parents, my grandparents, and everyone else society that are important to me here and now. So that's the first part of it. And the second is to see your children, see your children clearly, every one of your children, not you know just see them as a group, but to see the spirit of the child, the characteristics that the child possesses, the strengths, what that child needs to grow and thrive. And when you're consciously aware you're able to create the conditions for each one of your kids in a beautiful way to support them. Not every minute. We're not perfect. We are human beings. Let me just say that. But as best as you can with each minute that you have in the day. I love that. Like I'm so way into this right now (laughs) because this is just where I'm at mentally in my own personal life. And so this speaks to me so deeply. And those are two very different things, but I like the interplay with them. Because you're right. I mean, our kids are so uniquely different. And I think it's a knee-jerk reaction that a lot of us have, that I know I have, that I want to parent all of my kids in the same way. And yet they require such vastly different approaches for what meets their needs. And I mean, my my 10-year-old, my 12-year-old, and my 18-year-old, but especially my 10 and 12-year-old are like night and day. One wants a hug and that's her love language. The other one, do not touch him. When he's upset, he's very prickly. And it's like, instead of coming from my love language, I have to come from their love language. Like, what does this child need in this moment versus the other child? So, so let's help parents navigate that. Let's, let's dive into the first one first, because I think that, you know, those are really vastly different. I can see where they play into each other, but let's first talk about our own childhood and our own triggers and the things that we bring in to our parenting for parents who are first hearing about this and they haven't done a deep dive in like conscious parenting, 
what are some skills or approaches that they can use to start to discover those things? So I think the first step for parents is to really think about what your values are. So this is separate from looking at our children. We come into parenting, we start to parent, maybe have a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, whatever. And we've not really been given the opportunity because nobody really tells us to, to step back and say, what are my values? I'm working with a couple right now. And when I brought up values, they were like, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. I said, you get to decide like what's important for you and your family. You know, if you have a significant other or a partner, you decide together the types of things that you want to put forward for your family. For example, honesty can be very important. Boundaries can be important. And then, you know, defining what those look like. And I think that's where we take a step away from our conditioning because we might not agree with the way our parents raised us when we start to look at values. Our values may appear different from our parents. And then we realize, huh, interesting. You know, I've grown into this person who has different ideas of what family looks like. So, you know, that's something that is not super hard to think about. You know, it just really is, it takes some thoughtfulness and some quiet time to ponder what's important to you in raising children. And it's not rocket science. I mean, it does, you know, it can be playtime. It can be, you know, having dinner together. It can be very simplistic things, but things that speak to you. And I, I think the second part of this in, in stepping into this arena is notice your actions, reactions, and responses. So what I mean by that is kids are our greatest awakeners. This is where we grow. When we have children, we suddenly are triggered by things that we just don't get. Like, what's going on? Why am I so upset? And so they're here as our greatest awakeners to help us to learn more about ourselves and to grow just as we're teaching them. And so when you find yourself in the moment heightened by, you know, perhaps little Johnny left his shoes in the hallway and that made you go ballistic, let's just say, you lost it, you freaked out. That may be a big reaction to the shoes in the hallway. I'm just making this all up as we go here. Yeah. I mean, for some of us, maybe the shoes in the hallway feel big, but for others, it may not feel so big. So I'm not here to judge anybody. But if you realize that that was a big reaction for you and that you feel overwhelmed, it's time to look at that. It's time to look at why that's triggering you, because more often than not, something in our childhood has occurred where, you know, we got in big trouble if something was left in the hallway or you know, our siblings did or, or something to that effect. There was conditioning, there was pressure, there was, you know, perhaps consequences and punishment around that, that have left a wound, a scar, a fear, a concern, and a big reaction when we see it in our children. And those are things to step back and look at and examine so that you're aware that this isn't about your child and the shoes. This is about your own history. And that's how we begin to unpack these things. I just love that because there's so much there. One, our kids are our greatest teachers and they're like little mirrors to what's going on with us. And when we see it that way and we see them as a tool for growth, not just these little people that I have to raise and I have to take care of, but they're a tool for growth that they have something to teach us. It's so powerful because I think that sometimes we don't realize that we're constantly evolving and that our, our little people are our biggest teachers. And I like what you said about the shoes, you know, like paying attention to your reactions, because 
sometimes we're so focused on putting out fires and then we feel really guilty when we explode. And then we go to bed feeling guilty. We wake up the next day saying, I got to do this better, but we're missing that learning piece that you're talking about. There's something to learn there. And I'll, I'll use myself as an example, because that's what I always do. <laughs> you know, Like I get so angry when my kids ignore me and just like the shoes. And I want to use this because I want to give another example just for people out there. If my kids ignore me, and unfortunately for Christmas, I don't know why I did this, but I got them AirPod Pros, which one was very expensive, but two, now they can't hear me at all. Those work way too well. And then my son will say, mom, you bought these for me. And my, my husband used to say that too. I got him Air, AirPod Pros and he would ignore me. And I'd be like, how can you not hear me? I am screaming. He's like, then why did you buy me AirPod Pros? <laughs> but my point is that wasn't about that. It's, you know, I felt ignored my whole life. I felt ignored in my childhood. I felt unheard. And so it's almost a metaphor, but like a literal representation of me feeling ignored, unimportant, and not heard. And so looking at those big reactions can be powerful. And so it, that knowing helped me reflect back and say to my kids, when I was a kid, I was ignored. You know, I, there was a lot going on in my family and nobody paid attention to me. And so when you don't respond to me, I know that's not your fault. You're just being a kid or your AirPods are in your ear. But to me, it hits a wound. It hits like a, a really hard wound. And so it's not like it helps them change their behavior per se, but when I do lose it and then I apologize afterwards, there's some context behind it too of like, oh, mom doesn't like to be ignored. And then I can do my own work. Right. And I love how you say it out loud because there's a lot of power in healing when we are able to verbalize those big feelings that are hiding inside of us from our childhood. And our children then become our allies, right? Because we are allies. You know, we're, we're, we're not working against each other. We're walking, as I like to, to say, side by side in the sand with our footsteps side by side, one bigger than the other, but we're still side by side leading together and working together, not one pulling the other. When we go back and repair, which I believe is a very important part of this, you know, the shoes or your situation where you feel ignored, your children aren't ignoring you. That's just the representation of someone not responding. It gives us a chance to repair what we've done. And we're human beings. We're going to mess up. That's part of our job, just as it is part of our children's job to mess up too. That's where learning occurs. And then when we go back and we share a little bit of ourself with them, whatever we feel is comfortable enough to share. You've let the light in to your wound. Let your children in. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're not going to break you wide open for that one little thing, but it, I think it really helps move forward in moments where you have that happen again and you will, right? We, we will, because these things keep popping up for us to keep growing, keep growing, keep growing. And it just continues the process of the healing where a child can say, I'm sorry, mom, did you feel ignored? I wasn't ignoring you. You know, yeah. I, I couldn't, I really couldn't hear you. And it's funny how many parents say, and you probably hear this too, nobody ever listens to me, mm -hmm. you know, and it's sometimes how we communicate or sometimes what our children are doing. Like they're listening to something, they've got things in their ears. How could they possibly hear us? But it becomes very painful, these moments. Yeah. And it becomes part of your narrative. That's the story that I tell myself about all things when people don't respond to my text or when people don't you know, that that's the story that I'm perpetuating, even within my kids, that insight is, is profound. And 
it's a tool that we can use when we see our reactions. Cause our kids are probably our, one of our biggest triggers because, you know, we're trying to do the best we can. And, you know, it's, it's a rough job. I think having day-to-day, you know, <laughs> the parenting aspect of things. So, and I also think it helps to model because I feel like as my kids get older, they're doing things like that too. You know, they're, when we're doing repairs or they're coming around and saying, I'm sorry, mom, I was really upset. It wasn't you. It was blah, blah, blah. And they're able to make their own connections earlier because they're seeing me do that, which I think is, is a great modeling thing too. Yeah, that's huge. And the more we model everything that we want to see in our children, the more they will show it back to us, you know, because as you said, it's a mirroring scenario. And it's so important for our kids to learn that we take ownership for our actions and we repair and they can too, not just with us, but out in the world. Right. How we respond to our life and everyone in it. And it really sets the stage for our children to learn from us. Yeah. I also like how you said, start with values, because I think that there's a lot of talk about values in the anxiety and OCD world too. I feel like there's a lot of, there's a big movement about focusing on your values. And I think it's a great place to start if you haven't really been in touch with yourself, because what you value also has a lot to do with probably your triggers and your childhood, even when it's the opposite. And in my house, you know, we talk a lot about the number one thing that's important to me. And you had brought this up actually is honesty. And I'll say to my kids, and that may not be everybody's value, but getting in tune with what is important, because if my child lies to me, I'm going to blow up in a way that would be maybe disproportionate for what's happening because a lie is a lie to me. Like you can say, I brushed my teeth and you didn't. And you can say, I stole this money from your purse. To me, they're equal because you just lied to me. And so to explain that to my kids, you know, we've done that too, where I say, telling the truth is my number one priority. If you tell me you did something really horrible, horrific, even I've got your back. You won't get in trouble. There's like a complete, like get out of jail free card. If you tell me something happened, if I find out regardless of what it is, I'm going to have a hard time because my biggest value is honesty. And I mean, you can replace that with anything, but I love that. That's where you start, you know, having that discussion. And if you have a partner, you know, having a conversation about maybe your values are different than your, your partners, but together, what, what are you going to represent to your kids? Which can be huge. It has to be a conversation with the children too. I want you to define, you you can't have 88 values, you know, because it's very hard to uphold all of those. So once you define the most important things, like you said, you know, honesty being, you know, your top value, then bringing that to the kids as a presentation, as a discussion, you know, what, what does honesty look like? So they can be part of it, depending on the age of the child, they can be part of understanding, you know, what integrity is, what, what communication looks like from a, you know, positive standpoint and really be empowered to talk about family values as part of the family. And I think, you know, that's, that's crucial. Just to go back to honesty, we, we have a thing that we've used for a number of years in our family. And it starts when you want to share something with somebody. And, you know, I even do it with my husband and he with me. We start out by saying, I need to say something or I need to share something, but I don't want you to respond or react. Or I just want you to listen, you know, and it sets the stage. We can teach our children this. I, my kids know it. They're a little bit older than, you know, probably all of our listeners' kids or young adults. but it sets the stage for you to take a breath, you know, as, as a listener to whatever is being shared with you, even though you may not be the reactive type or you have trained yourself to not react, 
I think it's even a step further to really be able to tune in and not not tune into yourself and what you want to say, but tune into what's in front of you, period. So when you say that, are you about to say something really scary? <laughs> what are you about to say that? No, no. I mean, not really. Just sometimes we want to share something that we know the other one's going to have a big feeling about. Yeah. Or, you know, I, and I can't, uh, sadly, I can't think of any scenarios, but I know recently I used it. My husband said, you know, it really helps me when you say that mm. because it doesn't jump into whatever it is. You know, if I had a conversation with somebody or I don't know, he just doesn't jump in the same way with the response. Yeah. Which and, is really and, and my daughter, yeah, my youngest daughter, who's 24, she will say to me, mom, I just need you just to listen. And I don't want you to comment or give me any advice or share any thoughts. I'm like, button <laughs> up, Sue. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, absolutely. You know, and she just did that a couple of days ago with a conversation she had with her roommate. She didn't want me to say a word. And I said, you got it. And not that we would or we wouldn't. We don't know. It's just a great way. And I think for young kids who are learning about honesty and how to be honest and tell the truth and and not be afraid, right? The reason our kids don't tell the truth is because oftentimes they're afraid of our reaction and that they're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. But conscious parenting, if I could take this a step further, is about teaching our children, not disciplining and punishing. So not that we're, you know, willy-nilly and wishy-washy, but when our children come to us and say, you know, I, I took the matches, I'm making this all up, please. <laughs> I'm sure somebody somewhere did this, but I took the matches and I was playing with them in my room. I, I know I shouldn't have done that. And here they are. I want to give them back to you. Okay. So we want to say, oh my gosh, you realize how dangerous it is. You know, you can no longer use your iPad. You're punished. Sometimes some of us want to do that, but the child doesn't learn if we take the iPad away or whatever it is we take away because there's no connection, right? right? Take the matches away. There's a connection. You can't have these matches anymore because I see you don't know how to use them properly, you know, or something like that. Or I see we need to have luck lessons in match using as you get older. I think it's a little young for you right now. But teaching them that that is an unsafe place to play and helping them to verbalize why that was not a good idea is the teaching element in conscious parenting as opposed to the punishing part of it, which, you know, when my kids were little, I used to punish left and right. I had punishments upon punishments. I couldn't keep track of all the punishments. And they never learned from that. They just figured out a way to scoot around me, you know, Yeah, and kids are brilliant that way. So if you think, you know, you've taken something away from your child and really punished them, think about how brilliant your child is to find a way, like, for example, the cell phone is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Lots of kids, you know, lose their cell phone when they do something wrong in our eyes. Mm-hmm. They go to a friend's house and use the cell phone or they use the computer. They use the iPad and they can do things right. on all their devices and they know how. So. And it doesn't connect the dots in teaching them lessons. Yeah, so true. And that's really the ultimate goal is the end result that either type of parent wants is for their child to learn. Like that's the goal. We all want our kids to learn. We want them to to change their behaviors or do something differently if we're, you know, punishing them. And, And those lessons are often lost. And you're not saying don't approach parenting and teach, you know, or, you know, that there's consequences, 
But a lot of times it's so far removed from what actually happened that they learn better from having a dialogue. And you don't want your kids to not talk to you and not trust you. And I think that that's been my concern too, is I want my kids to come to me. And we've been having a lot of conversations about this lately for some reason, but when you get older and I'm trying to talk to them now when they're 10 and 12, luckily my 18 year old, she was like straight as an arrow. Like she was just golden, maybe too, too afraid you know, of life. But my other two, especially my 10 year old, I can foresee that that's not going to be the issue. And so I'm trying to plant seeds now when they'll listen to me versus when their peers are cooler than me, which is already starting to happen. And I'll say, you know, if you are at a party and you're uncomfortable, like I want you to, I want you to feel like you could call me no questions asked. And I'll come and pick you up. You know, I want to have that relationship. And I think if we are constantly punishing just reactively, not a dialogue, not a conversation, but punishing, you know, I found these matches or, you know, and now you're punished instead of missing that learning opportunity. It reminds me of something that happened with my son where I don't remember how old he was, but I gave him a phone probably too early. And I, and I said, whatever goes on your phone, this is kind of like a, a rule for in my house, whatever is digitally put out there, I can see too, because the rest of the world can see it. So there's no privacy. I don't, and it's not that I'm invading your privacy. It's not a journal. I don't want you to think that you can put anything out into the world that your mom can't see, you know, because the rest of the world can screenshot it. And so I'm hoping that if I do it really young, they'll kind of get used to it where my 18 year old, I didn't really do that with her. And it would be really weird if I grabbed her phone. Now she's like, like I said, she's just, she has her head on her shoulders, but my son, you know, started to text kids and he was just spamming like, hi, 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 you know, hello, hello. And like weird gifts. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And slowly people are like, stop it, stop it. I'm going to block you. You know? And I was, so instead of just being like, okay, you're grounded, you know, I'm taking your phone away. We had a conversation and I said, I don't want you to lose all your friends, you know, kind of like what you were talking about. Like you don't want to miss that learning opportunity. I did say, I think that you are maybe not developmentally mature enough to handle the texting. And I'm afraid that if I let you continue to have it, you're going to lose all your friends, which actually just happened anyway, because it was too much too late, but I took it back. I took the texting back. And then a year later I said, let's try this again. And like he, you know, I'm finding my parenting with him. It has to be that, but I like the style that you're talking about because I feel like my kids will still tell me things, but there are sometimes natural consequences based on that, but there's learning there too. Absolutely. Like the friends responding, you know, by saying stop, or I'm going to block you is part of the natural consequence. Right. And like you said, you don't want him to lose all his friends. And so having that conversation around why, you know, saying hi to everybody under the sun is a gazillion times. My kids do that in their, in their twenties. If I don't answer right away, hello, (laughs) you know, like I do do other things other than respond to your you know, text every moment of the day. Not that they're not important, but I, you know, I think this is an important step in their understanding to themselves, you know, feeling empowered to say, huh, why might that not be a good idea? Why might my friends be saying that? So that they're not learning just from us, they're learning from themselves too, when they're given the chance to think about why that might not be a good idea. Same thing with the matches, right? Yeah, I used matches when I was a young kid. That's where that's coming from. I just realized, but uh, nobody ever caught me. But, you know, I think having a conversation too about that, why might that not be a good idea to play with? Tell me what you were thinking and tell me what went through your head. This is a connection for us and our children. 
if we respond and lose it and we're screaming and punishing, we start to disconnect because the child will then not want to share the things that they do because they get punished. No kid wants to be punished. They don't want consequences. Go to your room. You can't come out. You can't use your phone. You can't this. You can't that. So they learn to hide things from you. And then that's where the disconnect. So for those listening, I think that's a really big piece is being a conscious parent and practicing some of the things that we're talking about really help you develop those strong bonds and connections with your kids that will help you guide them as they guide you into, you know, into a more connected and deeper relationship as they continue in the age and stage of development that they're in. Yeah. I think it really fosters a a deeper connection because it's, you're having those conversations and you're seeing them as a human and you're teaching them. So I love that. So let's go into the second part, which is how to see our kids as, you know, unique individuals and how to parent differently. How, how can a parent start to do that? A great question. And, you know, I'm here doing this work because I didn't do any of this stuff when my kids were little. And so, you know, I think that really taking a step back and thinking about your kids coming into this world. Every child comes into the world with what I call blueprint. Something about them that's a characteristic that they own or many characteristics, and maybe even there's a plan for them. And so the more we can step back and look at who this child is, oh, little Johnny's really sensitive. So when I say something that might appear sarcastic, it affects him deeply. I need to be thoughtful about that. Or, you know, one of my children, actually, when she got upset, she would go to her room, close the door and cry like the world was coming to an end. I mean, it was painful to listen to, but she needed to do that to release whatever was going on and come back out like a new human being. And so providing that space instead of rescuing and fixing and solving and what's going on and I need to be here and, you know. But recognizing that was her need. And every child is unique. Every child is special in their own way. Not because we make them special. They're special because they're here on this earth, valuable in their own right. And, you know, for some of us, I think there's a wound here, you know, where we weren't treated maybe this way. I know, you know, I wasn't. I was one of four and, you know, got lost in the shuffle and I was difficult and, you know, a rebel and, labeled all these things that weren't kind comments to make me feel good about myself. So I continued, you know, to, to behave that way. (laughs) So, you know, you have to live out those expectations. So if you want to see your child grow into who they're meant to be, you have to create the conditions that support that child and value and, you know, and, and the worth of that child. So three things, one, you've mentioned a few of these is see them clearly. Every day, see your child, you know, reflect in the evening, perhaps on, you know, who is Johnny, who is Susie, who is, you know, Quinn? What did I learn about them today? What worked? What didn't work? What's special? When I coach parents and I say, tell me what's special about each one of your children, they're like, oh, hmm. you know, I thought we were here to talk about the challenges. Yeah, we are. <laughs> but I want to know what's uniquely special about the, your three kids. So. I think, you know, that's the first thing to do. And the second thing is to see how you as a parent 
can respond to the uniqueness of that child and keep the lane open for that child to grow in the way in which they need to. Oftentimes, and I I did this, we try to curve the lane into the direction we want the child to go for us, right? So let's say you were, you know, a gymnast and your child hates gymnastics, but you sign them up for a class because you want them to grow into liking it. And, you know, eventually they're like, they just go, but that's not a path that speaks to them. This is where we alter our children. We don't see them clearly. We don't listen to them clearly and we alter them. So seeing them, hearing them, gymnastics is not for me and valuing their opinion each and every day doesn't have to be right. We just value that they're able to share it and feel empowered to share it with us. Does that make sense? It does. And I, and I love that because our kids are showing us who they are every day. We have a choice in that. Do we want to try to squeeze them into that square box or do we want to let them be that circle? And sometimes it can be hard because it's not how we want them to go or it's not what we want them to do. And some people have this more extreme, you know, where they want to live out, they want to live through their kids, what they didn't have. And other parents, thinking about your example, feel like they're a failure if their child is crying in their room. And I think it's such a good example because it combines both of the things we're talking about. Kind of our ghost in the nursery, like our our triggers our childhood, you know, that I have to be successful, I have to be perfect, and to be perfect equals happy children. And so my child who needs to release all of these emotions. She needs to like emote literally makes me uncomfortable. makes me feel like a failure as a parent, which is a me problem, you know, not a her problem. And I I think about that too. Like with my son, he like buries his head and he needs to like literally physically bury himself. And even just last night, cause he's kind of grown out of this. Like he would literally go like in between his mattress, like get like deep pressure. Mm-hmm. So he would, like really Right, like go under a big bean bag. He would like get that deep pressure, but you, if you went and like picked it up, you know, like picking a rock up and looking at ants, like that was very like exposing for him. It's like I'm trying to hide. I'm embarrassed or I'm angry, and I'm trying to cocoon myself. And I've worked with families in my therapy practice who, you know, the kids will say, "I try to go away, and they follow me. They won't let me go away." And the parents will say, "Well, it's disrespectful. I'm talking to you. You need to stay right here." And, and I, it reminds me of what you're saying. It's like having a parental perspective of maybe you feel like you're being disrespected or ignored or whatever that triggers for you without recognizing that your child needs to do something in order to regroup or that's, that's their coping mechanism. Yeah, absolutely. And you can bring a conversation to this. For example, if I had said to my daughter, you know, I noticed this morning, you know, obviously I don't want to do it while it's happening or right after, but I noticed that you went to your room and you seem to need the space, you know, or you went to your room and you were crying for a period of time. And, you know, my heart went out to you, but I'm curious, is this something that helps you when you're upset? Because kids are entitled to have emotions. Let me say that again. You and I know this. Kids yeah. are entitled to have emotions. We may have been told stuff it. Or, you know, I'll give you something to cry about. I think I heard that line a few times or what have you. And that's our own process that we need to work through. But in order to allow our children to grow and thrive, we have to allow them to have 
big emotions, small emotions, uncomfortable emotions for us. They're not uncomfortable for them until we make it that way. Mm-hmm. This is where we take, you know, the orange and turn it into an apple. You know, oh no, you know, that's too heavy of an emotion for me to handle as your parent. You go do your work, you know, go hire somebody or talk to somebody, but allow that child to do their work, which is a big emotion. And, you know, if they have to release it in that way, that's how we give the space to the child to thrive. Mm-hmm. And if we don't, as many adults that I work with, you know, we're not allowed to, number one, have big emotions, you know, or be valued in their thoughts and feelings. And so that worthiness has just dissipated because we were never made to feel like we we're worthy enough to have all of that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we don't want to wait until our children are 50 or 40 or 30, you know, to, to allow them the opportunity to sit on a therapist lap, you know, lap, not lap, uh, couch. We'll say. <laughs> At 30, I don't think they're sitting on anybody's lap, but who knows? And, you know, and, and move through that. So allowing the space for this is huge. If you're uncomfortable, check in with yourself. If you think your child's uncomfortable, check in. Don't bring that discomfort to the conversation. Just say, I noticed, or I'm curious. I love the word curious because it's neutral. I'm curious, you know, why you went to your room or why you hid under the mattress. Tell me about that. Yeah. And then you can learn what your child needs in those moments. I like that you brought up, like, go and ask your child. A lot of what you're saying is about communication and having these dialogues and everything you say always like triggers like a thought about my family. (laughs) That's just how I think. But because my son, when he hides, he wants that. He doesn't want you to go and, and my daughter was doing something similar. And I was responding at one point in the same way. I was leaving her alone, but I kind of in my gut knew that wasn't what she needed, but she was, she would do the same thing. She would storm off. She'd go to her room and I would leave her like the way I would leave him. And one day she said, why don't you ever come and get me? And Mm -hmm. so we had a conversation like you were talking about. And I said, when you're upset and you do those things, what do you need from me? And she said, I need a hug, mom. And she's the most prickly person in that moment. You don't feel like she needs a hug. You don't feel like she wants a hug. She's screaming. She hates you. But I have learned my counterintuitive approach. I don't feel like I want to hug her in that moment. I don't feel like she wants a hug, but I lean into her and I hug her and then she melts. And it actually happened last night too, where my son was having a problem. He was having an OCD issue around reading and he was starting to like rev up and he was yelling at her because she happened to be there. And so I said to her, why don't you go get your iPad and go in my room? And I was trying to get her out of the line of fire. So I, and I said, so I can focus on him. And so she did. And I thought we were on the same page. And then I worked with him and just do two pages. You don't have to do the whole thing. Just get tunnel vision. Don't worry about your deadline. You know, I did all this thing and I thought, oh, I'm doing amazing. <laughs> I was like, I'm rocking this. And then he's done like 30 minutes later, he's read like all of the work that he needed to do. And he's calm. And I just casually go into my bedroom and she's there with like a sour face. And she goes, you forgot me. <laughs> and I was like, I had not even thought about that, but it's going back to what you say, you know, that that's the child who doesn't like to be ignored, you know, and I had to do some repair and say, you were, I was sending you here to protect you. I was sending you here so that you can have some quiet place. It was not a punishment. You know, and she said, well, you said, go to your room. And so we had to do some conversation about that, but it kind of goes back to what you're saying, like what they need, how they're interpreting things. Yeah. And, and when one child is having a difficult time, 
for her, what does she need you to do in order to create that safe space for her? You know, right. what would be what would be a good place, you know, or a good conversation for you to create quickly a safe space for her? And, you know, this is where empowerment is enormous because our kids, again, are our greatest teachers. We don't know it all. We really don't. And so when we go back to them and say, what do you need from me in these moments? How can I best support you when you're having a difficult time, a big emotion, you know, heavy things that you're dealing with? What's what's best for me to do? Because I want to be here for you. But we're not our parents and we're not someone else's parents. We're these beautiful spirits in front of us that need specific things in these moments. And they may change this year. It might be you know, I need you to leave me alone. And next year, it might be something completely different that you will notice because as our children change, they send cues to us like you ignored me. Yeah. Right? They'll just yeah. make a comment where you have to be like, hey, what just happened? <laughs> you know, yeah. and really address it with them so that you can understand what it is they need in that moment. Yeah. Different from what you offered. Right. And it's a good point too, because we might have like this idea of this is what I'm going to do. You know, when my child is having a hard time, I'm going to send my other child to the room and she'll understand that. And, and I'm doing a great thing, but that's from my perspective. And so I actually do have to circle back today when I pick her up, you know, and say, you know, when your brother's having a hard time in the future, what, what do you want me to do? Ironically, I think she will say, tell me to go to your room, but because it will be her idea, she's that child, she's very strong-willed. And because it's like reestablished that I have asked her permission and it's like now we're in cahoots again, but she may say something different because sometimes my kids surprise me and I'll think, you know, this is what I recommend for clients. This is what I teach, you know, to take the child who's calm to go to another place, but that's not working for her. And so then I have to pivot. I can't force her into my coping mechanism that I want to do for my house. So this is where seeing the child in front of you is important. And by seeing it's it's empowering them to share their needs in those moments so that we learn every day how we can best support our children. Yeah. Well, I love talking to you. I'm like invigorated because like I have been on this kick anyway to like do more intentional parenting and really focus on my kids. And you've been inspiring today. So thank you for coming on and inspiring people. It's like, I think when you just talk about these things and the way that you're kind of explaining it is very motivating. So thank you for- sharing that with the audience, where can people find you? Because your wealth of information and your delivery, just the way that you present and teach it is, it's very like palatable. Well, thank you. Um, they can find me at, on my website, suedecaro.com on Facebook and all social media, suedecaro. I mean, basically go by my name. I also have a platform to Caro parent coaching, uh, that's all woven through suedecaro, but you can go there as well. And a podcast, conscious parents, thriving kids. Because again, you know, I'm all about how can we be more conscious no matter what the scenario is. Yeah. And I just add one of the things I am really passionate about in doing this work is that we take good care of ourselves. You and I have had conversations about that. So it's easy to beat yourself up. It's easy to say, doing a terrible job. But do you ever say in this moment, I'm doing a really good job or I want to celebrate this tiny moment or anything to give yourself a hug and self-compassion that you might give your friend or your neighbor. It's really important to be gentle with yourself and kind to yourself because parenting is one of the hardest things we'll ever do in my book. And I'm glad you added that at the end because you know, you're going to have some people who are going to listen to this and think, oh my gosh, I'm doing none of that. That just sounded like Mary Poppins parenting and it sounded beautiful. 
<laughs> you know, and, and I think both of us have had very messy, ugly parenting moments. And I mean, that's why I like to always share like all my mess ups, you know, as, as we're talking. And so I think that it's a good message to end on that compassion starts with yourself. And none of us are, are doing this perfectly orchestrated, beautiful conversations all of the time. It's just the intention behind it. I always say you wake up and you start all over. It's like a brand new day. Blank. Every moment, every moment. You don't have to wait for the next day. Just better. moment. <laughs> like in the next hour, I'll do better. <laughs> I'll do better. I'll just be more, you know, I'll, I'll be awake. You know, I'll try to be awake. And then sometimes the biggest mess ups are the best learning experiences too, though. So it's all yes, best. for us and our children. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, well, I encourage everyone to check out your podcast, check out your website. I will leave links in the show notes. And thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, I hope you found that helpful. Please check out her website. So she's got a couple of them, but go to suedecaro.com. That's kind of where you can find her. I'm going to spell it in case you, I, I hate when I listen to podcast episodes and they say the person's last name as their website, and then I can never spell it correctly. And so then I forget and I just don't try. So it's Sue, S-U-E. And then her last name is decaro, D-E-C-A-R-O.com. So that's suedecaro.com. S-U-E-D-E-C-A-R-O.com. And then you can also check out her podcast, Conscious Parents, Thriving Kids. You'll find it wherever you consume your podcasts. So I hope that you are enjoying the podcast, my podcast. And if you are, don't forget to hit a star on iTunes or Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you consume your podcast. That definitely helps support my show. And if you have a few extra seconds, if you can leave a review, I greatly appreciate it. If I see your review, I will be reading it for my next show. I don't think I see any new ones right now. So please write a review and then I'll be reading it. So I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.